God's word is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the bone and marrow. At FCC, we believe that God actively speaks to us through the reading of his word. With this in mind, please turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 4, 1 through 12, or follow along on the screens behind me. Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they, had no, they have no comforter. Power is on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's, one person's envy of another. This, too, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For who am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This, too, is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Please pray with me. Lord God, help us turn our hearts to you and hear what you will speak, for you speak peace to your people through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, before I begin, real quickly, uh, I want to draw attention to a really exciting announcement. Hopefully, uh, many of you received a letter this last week in the mail from the church office uh, announcing uh, a decision that the Associate Pastor Search Committee has made uh, to fill the position or to extend an invitation to candidate to Tyler Hennick, uh, the intern from our church, the past eight or nine months. Uh, just a little bit about the, the position. It is the Associate Pastor of, of Young Adult Ministry and Discipleship. And so uh, this person would uh, focus on uh, the young adults of our church, all the way from college age through young marrieds, uh, help them connect with each other, connect the ministry, connect with the Lord, uh, as well as discipleship ministries for all our adults, life groups, Alpha, Sunday morning classes, and so on and so forth. So uh, we hope that you'll um, come to the meetings uh, two weeks from now. Uh, Tyler will preach on, on, on Sunday morning at both services, and then that night, There'll be a congregation meeting here at 630 in the sanctuary uh, where we'll discuss. We'll have Q&A with Tyler and the committee, and then we'll have a congregational vote. So please be in prayer uh, between now and then. Uh, the committee interviewed a lot of people, really sought the Lord in prayer. And um, as the Holy Spirit led, we felt led to, to extend this invitation to Tyler. So please be a part of, of that weekend two weeks from now. Today we are continuing the sermon series we kicked off uh, back at the beginning of the summer as we're working our way through the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Now, a little bit about Ecclesiastes, if you, uh, this is your first Sunday with us perhaps, or you've missed a few weeks. Ecclesiastes was written almost 3,000 years ago or so. Um, many people believe it was written by Solomon, who was the king of Israel, uh, was, was a very wealthy man, very successful man, very wise man. And uh, as we read through the, the, the book so far, we see that the Solomon kind of does this experiment. He's, he's delving into these big, deep questions, kind of existential questions about life, meaning, purpose, significance, things like that. What's really important in life? 
And, and, and Solomon kind of looks back over the course of his life because, remember, he's, he's had no limits on his life. He could ex- experience pretty much anything that he wanted to, and he tried it all. He tried wine, women, and song. He tried educational pursuits, intellectual pursuits. Uh, he tried um, just all sorts of things like that. And he comes to achievements and civic projects and all these things. And he, he keeps saying over and over, it's all meaningless. All meaningless. Now, he doesn't mean that it's, there's no, no, no good at all that comes from these things. But he's saying these things are, are, are temporal. You try to hold on to them. You try to build your life upon them. And you maybe accomplish something, you experience something, and it feels good, and then it's gone. And you want more. And you're still wanting something, something, and, and you can't find it. That's all, all meaningless, Solomon says. And, and then he comes to chapter 4. We looked at the first three chapters, and we've seen how he's tried these different things. Uh, and how. Um, and then last week in chapter 3, we saw that this, this interesting verse where, where we're told that that God created us, human beings, with eternity within us. And, and we, when we saw that, that, that that's the yearning that we have for something beyond ourselves, is that eternity beyond us, that there has to be more beyond life, that this can't be all there is, and that God has created us for that, and that we're only going to find our, our significance and our, our purpose and our ultimate satisfaction when we put our trust in, in God and connect with our Creator. So let's pick it up now in verse excuse me, chapter 4, the passage that J.C. just read. And Solomon gives us some more observations and conclusions about the nature and purpose of life and the world around us. And he begins with the injustice and oppression that he sees in the world. Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. So I guess some things never really change, do they? Um, As long as there are people, people will take advantage of each other for their own benefit. And I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has not yet been, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. So, so this teacher, this Solomon, who's, who's writing from a position of privilege and power, I mean, he's the king after all. He can have whatever he wants. He looks around the world and he sees the pain and the heartbreak and the evil that is done to people and by each other to each other. And he says they have no comforter. Now, what does he mean by that? Does he mean that that God doesn't care for those people? No. Does, Does he mean that that God isn't much comfort to them? No. He's saying that there is a point where nothing seems to make it better. That there's a pain that never really goes Away. Words can help. Support can help. Prayers can help. Friendship and love being there certainly all help. But there are some things which, you know, completely, never completely heal. You know, sort of like when you have a, a, a broken ankle or arthritis and it aches when it rains. Or a limp from a bad ankle that appears when you're tired. There are some things which will always be a source of pain. You may get better. You may move forward in life. But they're always, the pain's always going to be there. It's always going to linger and Solomon looks around and he sees the weak being preyed upon by the strong and the poor being oppressed by the rich. And he feels the pain in the world around him. And he, he argues that it would be better to be dead or to never have been born because it's just too much to bear and there doesn't seem to be any lasting relief or comfort. His next observation is that along with injustice and oppression, people are driven by work and ambition 
an unhealthy ambition. And I saw that all labor and all achievements spring from one's envy of their neighbor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The fool folds his hands and ruins himself better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This, too, is meaningless, a miserable business. So again, he looks around and he sees people working hard from sunup to sundown, trying to keep up with the Joneses. They see what their neighbors have and like, I want that too. I want to experience that too. And so they increase the hours. They increase their workload to, to climb the ladder, to accumulate, to gain. And then he says, eventually, you come to the sobering realization that all this work and all this ambition has caused them to miss out on, on life, on, on living. And then he gives us the third observation. And he points us to a truth that if we apply it, that truth will help move us from being a cynical observer. Hey, everything's meaningless. Everything's screwed up. That's just the way it is to a compassionate person involved. And from being somebody who's driven by work and ambition to a person who who shares their success and shares their lives with others and finds enjoyment in it. He writes, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the one who falls down and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You know, the desire to belong to a group, to belong to a tribe, a group of people, a family, however you want to put it, a club, an organization, that's something that's really, really strong within pretty much everybody. I mean, you look at the most successful sitcoms on TV, they tap into the cheers. You want to go where everybody knows your name or, or friends became kind of a surrogate family, a, a family group or a group of friends for millions of, 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 of watchers. What is the worst punishment you can do to a prisoner? Put him in solitary confinement. Remember the movie Castaway, the character played by Tom Hanks, marooned on an island, nobody around, and all he has is this, this, this volleyball he finds, a Wilson volleyball. And he talks to Wilson. He, he complains to Wilson. He laughs with Wilson. He shares his life with Wilson. And then Wilson is swept out to sea, and he risks his life to try to save a volleyball. And he sobs uncontrollably when... When he can't save Wilson. We are designed by God to live in community. To be a part of a group. To be bonded with each other. We are wired to be in relationship with Israel. And and we thrive in relationship with each other. We're designed for that. I mean, think back to the beginning when creation happens. Creation is not finished after God creates Adam. When God finishes with Adam, he steps back and says this very important assessment. It's not good for man to be alone. Going alone was not God's design for us as human beings. 
And we function best when we have close and meaningful relationships and connections with other people. And we find significance from building relationships. You know, Ecclesiastes is kind of a pessimistic, kind of depressing sort of Eeyore type of book. You know, sometimes like, what is it? You know, but it's also deeply insightful. In Solomon, when it's all said and done, through the 12 chapters, he says that there are two things that really have meaning in life. A relationship with your creator and a relationship with other people. In verses 9 through 12, they, they, they focus on the incredible benefits of doing life with other people. So let's move to our text. So Solomon's message is clear. We are stronger together than we are alone. There is risk and vulnerability when we're by ourselves. And he uses different scenarios to kind of to lay this out. There's a person with no close relationships in verse 8. There's a person with one close relationship in verses 9, 10, 11, and part of 12. And then there's a person with more than, with two or more close relationships in the last part of verse 12. And, and the first one, there's this man who's all alone and he's working hard and he has nobody to share it with. He says, why am I doing this? Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment in life? And we don't know much about this man. He has no family. He has no close friend. He's alone in life. He's, he's got a job. He works hard. He makes a lot of money. And yet it leaves him empty, wanting more. I mean, life is much too short to miss the richness of community. Now, a couple of things that we need to think about. First of all, what is one of Satan's key strategies? It's to isolate us, right? To isolate us, to cause us to throw up masks, to put our, you know, our best face forward, our best foot forward, to, to, to not be vulnerable, to not be authentic. He wants us to try to do it by ourselves. And so people's feelings get hurt and wounds happen and people become estranged or alienated and, and bitter. Satan wants us to, to be isolated because he knows that's when we struggle the most and we do not become what God has created us to be. Martin Luther addressed this when he said, no one should be alone when he opposes Satan. The church and the ministry of the word were instituted for this purpose, that hands may be joined together and one may help another. If the prayer of one doesn't help, the prayer of another will. So there's a spiritual danger trying to do life by ourselves. Second, it's, it's impossible to come to spiritual maturity alone. I mean, to think about it. You cannot grow spiritually mature by yourself, not in relationship with other people. Ephesians 4.16 that says, as we work in tandem together, we grow in maturity together into the likeness of Christ. I mean, centuries ago, there were people who were known as pillar saints. There are these guys who would go out into the, into the desert and they would live on these pillars because they were trying to separate themselves completely from everything so they could be as holy as possible. It didn't work. We need each other to grow spiritually. It does not happen in a vacuum. Solomon goes on to say that two are better than one because they have a good return for the work. If somebody falls down, there's somebody there to pick them up. And in God's math, one plus one in relationships, it's greater than two. Two are stronger than one, and together they have a better chance to stand firm. 
And then Solomon uses four illustrations to demonstrate this. Two people work together, they get more work done. It's easier. They get it done faster and better. They're more successful through cooperation. There are two people, one of them falls, the other one can help them up. Now, this is probably not talking just about physical, you know, falls, although it's nice, you know, right? I think he's talking about when we fall morally, when we go off the wrong path, when we do something that we regret, when we do something we're ashamed of, when we do something we think, I'm not sure I can come back from this. That's when you need somebody else to come alongside you, to help you up, to encourage you. Maybe you've had that experience. I know that I have. He then uses the illustration of of two people kind of keeping each other warm. Now, it's not talking about physically. I mean, although that can be nice, you know, but but he's talking about keeping each other warm and and passionate and, and, and loving towards God and to each other. To kind of help each other live out in a way that keeps our our hearts warm and soft and receptive and kind and good and generous. So Solomon's point is pretty hard to miss. Life is going to be hard. People can try to do it alone. But when you have a partner or a companion, two will generally fare better than one alone. But then he moves to the, the last part. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So he's saying that everything he has just said about two being together is multiplied, even more so when there's two or more involved. Maybe you've experienced this. I I think of the movie Gladiator, Gladiator, one of my favorite movies, when Maximus and some of the other gladiators in the arena and they're being surrounded by other fighters and by tigers and all sorts of wild animals. and, and, And he says, we have a better chance if we stick together, if we stick together we survive. You know, it's appropriate on the 4th of July weekend to have a quote from one of our founding fathers. Benjamin Franklin said this at the beginning of the revolution. He said, we must all indeed hang together or most assuredly, we shall all hang separately. You know, this third strand that, that adds significant strength in the cord, it's Christ. It's designed to be the presence of the Lord in the midst of all of our relationships you know, one of our primary purposes here is, is to help you grow deeper in your relationship with Christ. That's not a solo effort. Yes, it's a personal relationship with God, but, but we do that in the context of relationships with each other that challenge each other, that, that encourage each other, that help each other, that, that help us up when we fall, that correct us when we're wrong, that share truth and life with each other. That's why we do things like life groups for middle schoolers, high schoolers, adults. That's why we do Alpha. That's why we do the care groups and men's ministry and women's ministry. We are better together with Christ at the center of our relationships. That's how we flourish. That's how we grow. Now, before I close uh, with a couple application questions, I want to come full circle to the beginning of chapter four. You know, back to where where. Um, where Solomon starts with observations about injustice and oppression and suffering and materialism and unchecked ambition and envy and all those things that he sees in the world. Why does he drop in these verses about relationship, doing life together, right after this? Because when we, when we are not in healthy, life-giving relationships with God, our Creator, and when we are not in healthy, life-giving relationships with each other, these sort of things happen inevitably. They, they flourish, injustice and oppression. 
and materialism and unchecked ambition, these are all the byproducts of not being in right relationship with God and right relationship with each other. And when we're not right with God and we're not right with each other, doing life together, people will inevitably suffer. And when God is not at the center of your life and the center of your relationships, you will inevitably substitute something else. You'll put something else at the center. Basically make something else an an idol in your life, whether it's your work or your career or your experiences, your achievements, your appearance. But when we find significance in a relationship with the Lord and we find significance in our relationships with each other and we do life together, then God's kingdom, it moves forward. It, it, It advances. So now to the questions. Who in your life helps you be stronger? Who in your life helps you to be stronger, you know, emotionally and mentally and spiritually? And if somebody doesn't pop into your mind pretty quickly, there might be something you need to address or change. And conversely, this is not a one-way thing, who in your life do you help be stronger? Emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And again, if somebody doesn't pop into your mind pretty quickly, it could be a sign that something in your life needs to change. Because that's how God has designed us. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So the takeaway application, be intentional about bringing Christ into the center of your relationships. How do you do that? You pray for each other and you pray with each other. You follow up. Hey, I've been praying for you. How's it going? Any updates? You share God's word with each other. Words that encourage uh, from the scriptures. Maybe you challenge each other. Iron sharpens iron, Proverbs says. You be vulnerable and you be transparent. You drop the mask and you just be yourself. You be real. Appropriately, of course, in a proper setting, but you you be real, you be authentic. You share your burdens, the things that keep you awake at night, the things that bother you, that worry you, and you share your joys. And you love each other just as Jesus Christ has loved us. There was a movie uh, about 20 years ago called The Long Drive. It wasn't seen by a lot of people, but it was pretty critically acclaimed about uh, a man who was in his 80s who was estranged from his other brother. And he decides he wants to make things right before his life ends. And so he has only one way of getting to see his brother, who's several states away. He takes his John Deere lawn tractor. and He begins to drive five miles an hour towards his brother's house. And it follows his journey and encounters many people along the way. And in one scene, he, he meets a, a, a teenage girl. She's running away from her family. And they're sitting around a fire at night and they're talking and she's staring about how she's so much better off away from her family. She's so much better off on her own. And he picks up a stick and he looks her in the eyes and says, this is you. And he breaks the stick. He says, if you go it alone, life will eventually break you. And he picks up uh, several sticks and he puts them in a bundle. He tries to break them and he can't. And he says, that's what many sticks will do in your life. You can make it when there's a band of people who stick together. The next morning he got up and she was gone, but he found by the, 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 where the fire had been a bundle of sticks tied together with twine. And he understood, he knew that she had got it. Life is meant to be lived 
in community, in close relationships with others who help us when life gets tough, to bring out the best in us, who help us grow in the Lord, with Christ the center and source of those relationships. And we all need that. And as Solomon says, there is great and deep meaning and purpose and significance in a relationship with God, our creator, in a relationship with each other. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you created us in your image. And part of what that means is that we are created to be in relationship with you and relationships with each other. Uh, deep, authentic, transparent relationships. Father, I pray for each person here and those who hear my voice, Lord, uh, Lord, help us to to move past the insecurity or the pride or the fear or shame or the guilt or whatever is holding us back. Help us to to seek out those sorts of relationships and to make sure, Lord, that you, Christ, are at the center of those relationships so that, Lord, whatever may come our way in life, we will be able to stand together and stand firm because we're with you and we're with each other. We thank you, Father, for the gift of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for your greatest gift, your Son, Jesus, through whom we pray. Amen.